You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I would like you all to read along with me. There's something about reading the Word together that oftentimes implants it a little bit deeper into our hearts. Let's read it together. It's all in English, so we should be okay, right? <clears throat> Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. (laughs) Thank God for that last sentence. (laughs) Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's, Let's pray and just ask God to do something today, shall we? Father, I just give this time to you. I thank you, Father, for the Spirit of God that moves across a place like this, Father, and encourages us, convicts us, convinces us, Father, of the truth and the and the verity of your word. We thank you, Lord, for this psalm. We know that it can be a little laborious going through these, but Father, we ask that you would minister to us in a special way today. Give us the words to say, give us those things to take to our hearts today that are meaningful to both us and to you. We praise you, Father, for your goodness, and we trust you to do what you said you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 1 through 3, the insane rage of nations and the laugh of God. I, I really like this this psalm, it is so, it's not a fluffy psalm. It'd be hard to put this psalm to music, <laughs> to, to sing about these things. But verses 1 through 3 talk about the rebellion of nations. And the, Abe was asking me this morning, well, how do you handle that very first verse? Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The word implies Rage is a, is a very powerful word, but the word implies almost like a mob-like rebellion against something. How many of you ever, you're pretty young in this room, most of you. How many of you have seen the original Frankenstein movie, Boris Karloff, years ago? Okay. <clears throat> you remember when, when Dr. Frankenstein had his castle, and that's where he created his monster, and uh, the people in the town, the, the monster was getting out and causing a little havoc in the town, right? And... And some people were uh, not doing too well. And so they, as a town, decided that they were going to storm the castle and kill and find the monster and get rid of him. So you, I remember that scene. You know, it, it's, 
kind of a, you know, it's a black and white movie. It's really old. But <laughs> this mob comes down the street, all carrying torches, of course. And the rage and the anger that they expressed in storming that door is kind of exactly what this idea of rage here is in Psalm, chapter, in Psalm number 2. Because that rage is a, when a person finds themselves in that condition with that kind of rage, <clears throat> they lose control, right? You're totally out of control when a person is in that state. I don't know if you've been around anybody who's been in a rage, okay? I imagine everybody has at one time experienced somebody that has been raging. And in that moment, just with a single person that's raging, you find yourself, that person so out of control that you can't talk to them, you can't reason with them, you can't get to the bottom of why it is that they're so angry. And so this is the kind of rage and anger that David is talking about in this psalm. Why do nations rage against who? Against the Lord and against his anointed, his Mashiach, his Christos. Why do nations rage against those two? So the answer, I think you have to go back. <laughs> You've got to go back a long ways to find out why. In fact, you have to go back all the way to the Garden of Eden. There's something about the message of the gospel that is so penetrating into the hearts of men. And that's, that didn't start in the book of Matthew when Jesus was born. That started way back in Genesis. <clears throat> Adam and Eve were there. Adam, the first created man, he's the one blamed for sin entering the world. Right? So by the time you get to, to Genesis chapter 3, that's all. Genesis has like, what, 50 chapters? By the time you get to Genesis 3, the world is already under the curse of sin. Didn't take long, did it? They couldn't even wait to have a few kids. Maybe those kids have kids, some grandkids, some great-grandkids, some great-great-grandchildren, and then all of a sudden then somebody screws up and sins. <laughs> but no, it had to happen right there with Adam and Eve didn't take long. And so that started the ball rolling. In other words, all hell broke loose, and the battle began. Sin entered the world, and that was in Genesis 3, verse 15, the first gospel message. <laughs> in fact, in, in Latin, the word is proto-evangelium. It is the first mention, they say, in Scripture of the gospel. And what does it say? It says... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And who do you say that to? Serpent. The devil, Satan. He will crush. Who's he? It's like one of Eve's kids, one of Eve's, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman in the garden. One of those will crush Satan's head, even though he, the serpent, will bruise his heel. That's, the, that's where the whole thing began. That's the first mention of the gospel. So really, if you look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, what a miraculous book that's been put together, where the gospel goes, the, the thread of the gospel starts in, in Genesis and goes all the way through to the end of the book. It goes through... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the creation of the nation of Israel, 
it, the Old Testament prophets, the prophetic uh, prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the minor prophets. It gets finally until, until Matthew when we know that Jesus comes on the scene. <clears throat> David, who wrote this psalm, it is through his line that that Messiah would come. And if you look at one of the genealogies, there's a genealogy in Matthew, and there's a genealogy in Luke. And one of them goes all the way back to Adam. Jesus' line goes all the way back to the seed of the woman. Right? He will crush his head. And that's the gospel. So that's when you ask, why are, where do we go to find out why these nations, these nations rage against God and his son, God and his anointed? Why do they, and nations, of course, are made up of what? Dogs and cats? No. Nations are made up of people. Millions and millions of people. And so nations are made up of individual people that have to make a decision one way or another about God, whether he exists, who he is, do they believe what he says about himself? And those nations, when they are against God, and there, there have been many, <clears throat> that rage, though, that they have is so out of control that it's in vain. It cannot stop God's program in no way. Why do we know that? Verse 4, he who sits in heaven laughs. I love that verse. Now, when, when you think of laughing, what do you think of? I don't know, you laugh at a joke, right? You laugh at, at some, someone's funny circumstances. But that isn't the kind of laugh that we're talking about here. He, he who sits in heaven's, heaven laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision, that verse says. What is derision? You probably didn't use that word this week. I did. Derision is just like, it's mocking. It's ridicule. God is looking at them, and he laughs because he said, what they're doing is so pointless to the program I have set forth from the very beginning, and no one, no one can stop it. And so he laughs. I, I love that. Spurgeon says this when, the, when they talk about, uh, where's that verse? Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Spurgeon says, to a graceless neck, the yoke of Christ is intolerable. But to the saved sinner, it is easy and light. We may judge ourselves by this. Do we love that yoke, or do we wish to cast it from us? Do we love that we are a bondservant of his, or do we, as so many in the world do, want to cast that away, cast it from us? It's all in vain. He laughs. He laughs. God holds them in derision. He holds them in mockery and ridicule. One commentator put it this way. This derisive laughter of God is the comfort of all those who love righteousness. It is the laughter and the might of holiness. It is the laughter of the strength of love. And listen to these words. People who wrote a couple hundred years ago really write in some pretty interesting English. It says, God does not exalt over the sufferings of sinning men. He does hold in derision all the proud boastings and violence of such as seek to prevent his accomplishment of his will. Let me read that last part again. God does hold 
in derision all the proud boastings and violence of such as seek to prevent the accomplishment of God's will. That is when God laughs and says, in no way will anyone interfere with the accomplishment of what I began so long ago, my will for this earth. It's an amazing thing. There's been many who have tried to, to knock this out, to have, to have destroyed the gospel, to have destroyed Christianity. It started early. <clears throat> There's a Roman Caesar named Diocletian, interesting name, in, the, in like the fourth or the third century. He was, he was Caesar in the third century into the fourth. He boasted and he said literally, I have extinguished the name of Christian and the superstition of Christ. But he's dead and gone, right? He's, he's no longer here. Jesus still is. He, he did not succeed. And then attempts have been made throughout all those years. From that century on, there have been attempts that have been made over and over and again to extinguish the gospel, to put out the light, to, to create an environment where everyone believed that there was no God and that especially there was no Jesus and he was not who he said he was. There have been attempts at that for centuries, and there are still attempts today. God still laughs. What about our own country? As Stephanie was praying this morning, she was thanking God for the country that we live in, right? I do too. It's an amazing land. But even in an environment where still the name of Jesus can be proclaimed, there is still that raging, violent disbelief that wants to wipe out anything to do. Starts with taking down statues, starts with starts getting rid of crosses, all these things, these symbols that, that represent some of the beginnings of our land. When those go, I guarantee you, Jesus is still going to be here. He still will be the one that is in control of everything that God has created. This land, thank God, still we have the ability to meet, to pray, to talk about Jesus, to preach about him, to go out on the street and do it if we want to. We still have the freedom to do that, even though even that is under attack. But there are nations around the world, in my lifetime, your lifetime, and in the, in, until Jesus comes back, there will be nations around this world that want to stamp out the message of God. The message of the gospel. You can name some today. I mean, I'm sure it's pretty tough to go out on the street in China and preach Jesus, or in Russia, or other places, even now in Europe, <clears throat> where their churches abound but are totally empty. It's everywhere. But God still laughs. That in a sense, should be encouraging. You know, God especially wants these kings and rulers to know that there is a king that's greater than they are. Right? We believe that with all of our heart. And we don't, we don't need to be reminded, we do need to be reminded that for ourselves because sometimes in this world, don't we get a little weary? Don't we get a little uh, dismayed? about some of the things we see happening around the world that seem to be, you know, God, what are, what are you doing in this situation? I don't understand. 
But we need to be reminded all the time, why does he laugh? Why does he mock? Why does he ridicule those that come against him sitting on his throne in heaven? Because he knows that nothing they say or do can change him or his plan. Verse 7 kind of changes a little bit. We get into somebody else, in a sense, begins to speak here. It is most likely the anointed one. We would call the son begins to speak in verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, the anointed one says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now that verse, is the verse about the begotten son is in the New Testament as well. Let me read, I want to read Hebrews chapter 1 to you. I think you would find it really interesting. Long ago, <clears throat> at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I don't know how many times we think of Jesus as the creator, but he is. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I love this translation of the ESV because it just says it so well. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For, which, for to which of the angels did God ever say, quote, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, what causes some issue sometimes is our understanding of what the word begotten means. Jesus was not created. He is not a created being. He was not created by God. He has been, always has been, always will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does John 1.1 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who's the Word? Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was not created. Begotten symbolizes, and, I, and you have to, just to stay with me here. It's just kind of one of those <clears throat> theological statements, I guess. The word begotten is an important idea as contrasted to the word created. It describes a relationship between two beings of the same essential nature and being. <laughs> I dare you to repeat that. I can't repeat it without reading it. In other words, it's a title. It is, it is something that was given to him for a particular purpose or has always been with him as the second person of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. He is and always will be the creator of all, and he will always be the son, the title, the son of God. And he chose to become flesh. And when that word became flesh, then 
that's where you see the God-man. And in no other way could God satisfy the sin that began way back in Genesis chapter 3. He couldn't satisfy that unless the one who died, the one who died on that cross, the one who was buried, and the one who rose again had to be an eternal being. And that was Jesus. That's what makes Christianity so unique. There is no other religion in the world that talks about this kind of act that God has done. And that's why Scripture says there is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. It's Jesus. There's no other way. We get in trouble sometimes for saying that, right? But that's what God says. That's the word. And so we take it to heart. So the begotten, <laughs> don't let it bother you. It's just very clear. The Son is not a created being. John 1.1 1, 1 claims it. But I think we should read also. What time is it? 11 o'clock. Oh, we got time. Funny. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 says this. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or raging nations, I've added that, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then Paul says, and he is, this is the one who is the head of the body of the church. He is our king. So it's, it's extremely clear. He always been, always will be. The only, way that could the only way could the bloody cross and the empty tomb provide everything needed for a gospel message that saves is this truth about who he is, the begotten son of God. Nothing else would have worked. Nothing else would have satisfied the sin question. He's king. All judgment has been given to him and him alone. So the final decree is in verses 10 through 12. It says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. There's that word fear again. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Again, that's that last verse, I guess, that last sentence. We could make a song out of that. That sounds pretty good. It's hard to make a song out of this. And so this psalm is so deep and so challenging to us that the New Testament writers felt it was important enough to extract out of it and give us a second meaning for Psalm 2 the Son of God. We can defy God, we can perish, or we can surrender to Him. We can find salvation and rest. And you know what's the most, the most important thing, I think, in conclusion today, to leave you with today, is those, as someone said, those who defy God are broken. But those who depend on Him are blessed. Which one depicts our life today? Know this, this commentator said, know this, when Jesus is thrown into scenario, 
into the scenario, things change. People get reminded of God, they get convicted of their sin, and are challenged to pursue holiness. Those who follow as a result, they like it. Those who do not follow, do not like it at all. What is it Jesus said over and over about himself? So that when he comes into a conversation, when he comes, when that word Jesus itself comes into the middle of a conversation, two things can happen. One can be immediate rejection, immediate rebellion, or a total acceptance. He is the divider of families. He's the divider of friends. He's the divider of nations. Because when we talk about him, people line up on both sides of the fence immediately. We have to remember that when he enters the scene, things really change. People do get reminded about God. They get convicted of their sins and are challenged to pursue holiness. Why, again, do the nations rage? They rage because they don't like the message. And they will do anything to subvert it. Now, that's the negative message. The positive message is God still laughs. And if you're a follower of his, And we like being under as a bondservant of Christ. He doesn't bring bondage. He releases us from bondage. But he provides us the ability to walk with him as a bondservant. Just the way an oxen would be led to go straight. To go exactly where it is he was supposed to go. He is by all means, to be praised. Be therefore, O kings, it says, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. That was two, three, 3,000 years ago, and it's true today. Be warned, O rulers of nations. What does Scripture say? Paul says, God is not mocked. plans that are made against him fail. And grab onto that, because I, I need to do that, and you need to do that, because we live in a world where we see and hear things that are so anti, particularly anti-Christian, anti-God. Right? It's everywhere. And it has been. There's nothing new under the sun, right? This sort of rebellion has been going on for a long time. But we live, we're alive now. This is our generation. We live in a time when all kinds of amazing things are happening. God is still at work doing what he set out to do way back in Genesis chapter 3. It's not over yet. We're not yet, we're not to the book of Revelation. You want to preach through a difficult book? Grab that one. That'll get you. But that, that end hasn't come yet. That completion of the gospel, that fulfillment of what the gospel has promised, to be with him forever, to get rid of this problem called sin, and to extinguish it and eradicate it forever and ever, will someday happen. But it hasn't yet. Right? We look forward to it. Paul says you should be looking forward to it every day. But where do, where do we fit in this? We fit because we need 
not only as believers, we need encouragement. We need someone to come alongside of us, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He is the encourager. He is the, the one who inter- intervenes for us, almost like a lawyer would for his client. He comes alongside of us to give us the things that we need. And trials come, as we talked about in the, before we came out here this morning. Trials come in life. Life is messy. What are trials meant to do? Trials are meant to bring us to a certain point of acknowledgement of, of who it is who's really in charge, but also it's to produce in us something. It's to produce in us endurance, patience. It's to produce in us the works of God, the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. All those are to be results and <clears throat> indications of the Spirit working in our life. So let them rage. I don't doesn't bother me. In fact, the more people rage against him, the more something builds up inside of you to give you the strength that you need to be able to repel that enemy. That <clears throat> those thoughts that come, those people that come against you, those people that come against him, that just makes something rise up in you and me. And that's what it's meant to do. The gospel is with us and has been with us for a long time. And it started a lot longer a lot longer ago than we ever thought. Because the Bible only has paradise in a tiny, tiny little bit in the beginning. And then everything fell apart. And we've been dealing with it ever since. If you believe the Jewish calendar, we're not quite yet to six thousand six thousand years. Not millions of years, sorry. Don't believe that. Almost 6,000 years ago, all this stuff happened. Think what's happened in all that time. And in the middle of it, it's almost like, look at an hourglass. Picture an hourglass in your mind. Can you do that? We don't use them much anymore, but they're cool to put on your fireplace. But the sand on the top is all this giant bunch of sand. comes, begins to come down, and it comes down into a very narrow part of the hourglass and then begins to spread out. And that's kind of the way history has gone. God has narrowed it down, narrowed it down from the very beginning to where we finally get to Matthew when Jesus was born. And then after that, what happened? The ends of the hourglass begin to spread out again. And his message, what did he say to do? Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. All the world. The book of Acts says you go to Jerusalem, go to Samaria, and then to the utter parts of the world. He zeroed in on a particular line of people to bring us our Messiah. And then that Messiah, when he was killed violently, buried, and three days later rose again, why? for the justification, dealing with sin that you and I need. So, where are you with this? It may be Psalm 2, hopefully. We could preach again on Psalm 2 next week, and it would be all different, because there's so many bunny trails you can go down in this psalm to see God working in a whole bunch of different ways. But let it kind of, I guess sink in today, you know, that important part for us. Those who defy God are broken. 
those who surrender to him find salvation and rest. Those who follow him, they like it. Those who don't, don't like it at all. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful today for your word, this, this particular song, Father, it just kind of, uh, it hits us hard. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us not only to be able to withstand the onslaught of the evil one, but that we would be able to stand strong with the armor of God and with the fruit of the Spirit. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you are not surprised by anything. You are not confused. You are not altered. You don't change your program. And that gives us, Father, the anchor that we need to live our kind of hectic, alter-skelter lives that we live today. Give us and grant us, Father, the knowledge of that foundation. Give us the joy that we can have as part of your family. Give us, Father, the desire to see others join that family. We thank you, Lord, for calling us. We thank you that we got to choose the one who chose us. Well, Lord, we, we pray that you would take all of the stuff that has happened this week and the last couple of weeks, all that's going to happen in the week coming, starting tomorrow. Lord, we'd anchor ourselves totally in the knowledge that you and your plan will not be put us under. So we thank you, Lord, for this good day. We thank you, Father, for a positive way that you are the king. You have set yourself above all else, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from the well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.